0: Support for The Bittersweet Life comes from our listeners. This week I want to thank Liz, Susan, and Darlene. Thank you so much for supporting the show on a monthly basis on Patreon. It was wonderful to see some of you at our live meetup, and I look forward to getting together again. If you love this show, please support it. Visit patreon.com slash thebittersweetlifepodcast. There you'll find a whole host of episodes you've never heard before, with two new ones coming out every single month. We appreciate you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. And today, we're going to talk about ghostly apparitions, and more, and more. But of course, why, Tiffany, why would we be talking about this in November? I mean, Halloween is behind us now. I mean, very closely behind us, but still, behind us nonetheless.
1: Very closely, yes. The death holiday that is Halloween it goes on. It lingers. Like Italian holidays, do they linger? That's something that Italian holidays just do. Like Christmas lingers. Like there's the day after Christmas is a legal holiday, and then it the Christmas season goes on until Befana on January sixth, and Easter as well. We've got Easter Monday. Italians are brilliant. They're like every single time there's a holiday, we're going to give you one more extra day to recover. From that holiday. So, the day after Christmas is a legal holiday. The day after Easter is a legal holiday. And November 1st, the day after Halloween, is a legal holiday. And today is All Saints' Day, which is not just a Catholic holiday in Italy. It's a legal holiday. So, everyone has a day off. You know, everyone who works in an office or, you know, government building, uh, something like that, has the day off today. But you don't have a day off for Halloween right no okay. no 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 halloween is not a ho- is not a real holiday right i mean that's what i kind of want to talk about today among other things it's sort of the origin story of halloween and how it is connected with all saints day and how that comes from an even older tradition another older celtic tradition and it's uh, yeah so today is all saints day what does that mean it's the day that you know catholic saints have their saint day. Mm -hmm. They all have one. All the saints have their own special day. Uh, There's no St. Tiffany, so I don't have a day. (laughs) Most people with classic names, you know, traditional names, they have their saint day.
0: But November 1st is the day of all the saints. So it's the catch-all. You can't remember when to celebrate St. Michael? No, you can at least do it on November 1st. You'll catch him there.
1: Yes. Although I I will say I always, I never forget St. Michael's Day, (laughs) September 29th, because it's Caravaggio's birthday. Ah, And Caravaggio's birth name is Michelangelo, mm-hmm. St. Michael the Archangel. So that's the day he was born and his parents named him after. That's the only saint day that I, that I never forget. But yes, it's the catch-all for all the saints. And then the 2nd of November is All Souls Day, which is all dead people. <laughs> so it's, that's the day you traditionally go to the grave of your dead relatives, whether they're saints or not. And you, you pray for them on that day. So you got all saints on November 1st, all souls on November 2nd. Now, all souls day is a Catholic holiday, but it is not a legal holiday, a national holiday in Italy. So uh, most people, of course, will work on November 2nd. But since my son goes to Catholic school, hmm. he's off right. for both the first and the second,
0: and will you be going to any graveyards that day no
1: <laughs> yeah i don 't know anyone who is buried in Rome, not personally yes it would yeah I mean it would be a nice day to go to a beautiful graveyard. that would be a nice thing to do, but um, I doubt I will <laughs>
0: <laughs> fair enough, fair enough, so let 's go back to the question of the origin of Halloween then. Yeah. I mean, it's fascinating. What I've always been fascinated, and I I bet you have as well, because I know you and
1: Derek love your holidays, like your specific, very minute holidays that a lot of people don't celebrate. You guys will celebrate. And it's really interesting how, if you go back and look, a lot of main traditional Catholic holidays have their origin in a pagan holiday Mm -hmm. that was around the same time of year and that was similar, there were similarities to them. And the idea is, what most people believe is, that the Catholic Church was kind of like, you know what, all these people who are now Catholic, they're now Christian, right? Because everyone sort of converted in those first few years between the 2nd the and the 4th century AD. You know, you had mass conversion to Christianity, and by the 4th century AD, in Rome anyway, all pagan religions were outlawed. But even though, you know, the people, a lot of people willingly converted to Christianity and some probably unwillingly, you know, the idea was like, let's not rock the boat too much. The people in this part of the world have always celebrated a harvest festival that is very linked to dead people right around the end of October, the beginning of November. Let's, let's just change the name of it, you know, and change it slightly So that their traditions are continued. And that's the same with Easter. Easter, uh, I can't remember the name of the pagan holiday that Easter is based on. Not based on. I'm not going to say it's based on it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like when they choose the time of year for this important holiday. I mean, because we all know Christmas. Yeah. You know, Jesus was not born in December. We know that. Yeah. Because of certain parts of the Bible that make it very clear if the shepherd I can't remember something about the shepherds watching their flocks by night they, they wouldn't have done that in december
0: yes right yes that's right so
1: they's like okay let's do christmas right around the same time they would have had the midwinter the solstice yeah it's saturnalia right wasn't it well they, there are many different they are different like cuz there's saturnalia which is the roman festival the roman midwinter festival but there's also um this the winter solstice which is more of like a celtic type festival, but they're all really about the same thing. It's the middle of the winter. It's dark. It's cold. It's a sad, difficult time. And everybody needs a little bit of hope at that time. So if you're an ancient Roman, you're going to be celebrating Saturnalia because it's fun, because you dance in the streets, because, you know, the slaves get to pretend to be the masters and the masters get to pretend to be the slaves and everyone just goes nuts and men go whipping women in the streets. And, you know, it's something to look forward to. For the winter solstice, it's maybe about you know, celebrating just the coming of the light, that the, the, the days are going to start getting you know, longer again. From December 21st, slowly, slowly, the days start getting longer, and it's this looking forward to the light. And for Christianity, you know, it's the same thing. You know, Jesus is, is lo- the light, right? And so he's born in the middle of winter to give us all hope to get through this difficult period. So every Christmas, I mean, if you think about it, think about going through winter and not having the festivity of Christmas to look forward to.
0: Hanukkah is the same thing. Yes. As we are recording, this is one of the darkest mornings that Seattle has experienced for a while. It almost feels like the sun just opened its eyes, so to speak, looked out and was like, (laughs) you know, and just went back to bed. And then, of course, it's also pouring rain. So I take your point that it is good to have something to look forward to, because it's only getting darker from here, of course.
1: Yeah, and people need it. I mean, and think about before electricity, it was really dark. I mean, it was in the north, further north, you got the darker for longer it is. And you know, you needed to have that sort of Sense that there was light in the darkness. So whether it's Saturnalia or, or Hanukkah or Christmas or this the winter solstice, you need that. So it's, this, it's the same thing with, um, with Halloween. So I think that it, it really originates in the Celtic tradition of Samhain. And that is a tradition, from what I understand, I'm not at all an expert in this, um, this area, but from what I've read about it, it was a festival that, yes, it was a harvest festival, it was also a time of year that they believed that the dead were very, very close to the living. The divide between the dead and the living was at its thinnest, and the living could mingle. And very likely, the dead could come and be with us. And so it makes perfect sense that then, you know, in the Christian tradition, they would say, okay, we're going to, this is the day that we're going to celebrate all of the, the martyrs, the saints, and just all of our dead, all the people who have died, and have it be around that same time. And Halloween literally means all hallows Ian, the eve the eve of all souls or all, uh, all saints, rather, all hallowed. So that's what it is. It's the night before. It's really the night in which the ghosts, the dead can walk the earth. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. And because the dead are walking the earth, I mean it's scary, right? We don't want to be attacked by zombies. So what do we do to protect ourselves? We dress like we're dead. And that's where that tradition comes from. You dress up like a dead person so that you are not going to be, you know, taken by a dead person. If there are dead people around you, they will just take you for another ghost or another dead person. And so that's where the tradition of dressing up as a dead person
0: comes from. Now, have you ever dressed up as a dead person?
1: I don't think I have. I mean, I mean, maybe I've been a skeleton. I mean, I don't even think so. Because when I was a kid, I mean, by the time our generation rolled around, at least in the United States, Halloween was very much about, you know, just dress up as whoever you want. Be a ballerina, be a cheerleader. I was always a ballerina or Cleopatra or, or something like that. But the real tradition, if you, you know, if you really think about it, the tradition is you're supposed to dress as something, somebody who's dead. Really, and I had a friend years ago who took this very literally, and she would always dress as a dead saint. She was very creative. So she one year she was Saint Lucy. St Lucy had her eyes gouged out. Mm. So she had like her you know eyes all bandaged, and then she had like a little plate with her eyes like with dead fake eyeballs on them. Mm-hmm. And then one year she was Saint Agatha. Saint Agatha had her boobs cut off. <laughs> So she had like, you know, white dress with blood stains. She had like bound her chest and put blood stains where her boobs were. And then she had a plate with these two little jello molds that looked like boobs.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Does she always carry a plate with all of these costumes?
1: I guess so. I, I mean, if ne- if necessary. Yes. But she was very she was very much like this is what you do at Halloween you dress as a dead person you're not supposed to dress as you know the last president or w- whatever you're supposed to dress as a dead person.
0: I've dressed as a dead person on multiple occasions. One because it used to be that my go to costume was just vampire because <laughs> it's <laughs> such an easy one to do. You know, I had the uh, the tube of fake blood and I had a long black wig for a while. And then you basically just put on any black dress, make your face a little paler and you're good to go. And then one year I did go as a um, very distasteful, probably murder suicide with a uh, boyfriend of mine Ugh. where we were actually uh, dead. But the thing that was the gen- the genius element of our costume besides the fact that we were very, very pale was that we had covered our clothes in, I guess some sort of baby powder So if you came up and clapped me on the back, I actually went, you know, like a little bit of, (laughs) a little bit of the long in the grave dustiness to us,
1: (laughs) which I thought was
0: brilliant. And we smelled nice, of course.
1: I just remembered I did, I I did at least one time dress as a dead person. It was in high school and it was uh, me and Megan Hill, old friend of ours. Mm And we raided the costume shop at uh, Youth Theatre Northwest. We brought everything back afterwards. And I borrowed this really beautiful, like, green damask dress. And I was Ophelia. But Ophelia after she had drowned. Mm. So I had all the flowers in my hair. And I had my face all gray, with huge circles under my eyes. And I was drowned Ophelia. So I have done at least one time.
0: Very, very nice.
1: There is one other thing I want to tell you about before we, we talk ghost stories, and that is that the other tradition, the tradition of trick-or-treating,
0: do you know where that comes from? I, I feel like I did know in the past, but please remind me.
1: Like so many of these things, I think there there's more than one origin. Like these things are cobbled together. Mm-hmm. But one thing that used to happen in early Christianity was that poor people would go from house to house on that night, on the night before All, All Saints Day, and they would ask for food or money from people, and in return, they would pray for the souls of their dead relatives. So, this is it was like
0: a service that they offered. They would pray for the souls of the rich people's dead relatives. Exactly, exactly. Mm. And they were so it's given kind of outsourcing. Exactly. Yeah. Well, the more people
1: praying for your dead relatives, the better, right? Mm. They actually gave them something. If they didn't give them money, they would give them something called a soul cake. I don't know what a soul cake consists of, but um, it sounds good. Does it? I mean, it sounds like <laughs> it should be made of
0: chocolate. <laughs> it it sounds- could be made of fish. Why fish? Well, soul is a type of fish, <laughs> isn't it?
1: Okay, but I'm thinking of a soul, like an all souls soul, S-O-U-L, not a soul yes. fish, Katie. Yeah, I know. But <laughs> <laughs> I just feel like it would be made of chocolate. Hmm. I don't know. It just sounds good. They didn't have chocolate back then though.
0: Maybe your soul is a yeah, is made of chocolate. Angel
1: food cake,
0: Katie. That's where Angel Food Cake must come from. <laughs> or devil food cake. No. Mm. Oh, that's the chocolate stuff. Yeah, I feel like there was a trick or treat element in early Christmas. Not Christmas, but you know, Saturnalia. Some one of those early origins had some sort of tradition where the I'm going to get this hazy because i'm I'm pulling this out of the memory bank but but that the there was this one night a week when the the rich people were supposed to provide some sort of banquet for the poorer people, and if they didn't, then they would be like persecuted for the rest of the year, but maybe that's that's yeah. a little dramatic
1: that sounds like it could well it sounds like it could be Saturnalia it. It could also be carnival. Yeah,
0: maybe. Yeah, one of those. They're similar. They're similar in so many ways.
1: They are very similar. Mm-hmm. They are similar. Um, I think that originally carnival went all the way from like <laughs> right after the time of Advent almost to all the way to Lent. So it was a very long period <laughs> of uh, <laughs> of partying. Yes, but in a... But yeah, I mean, that, that could well be. I think, like I said, I think that so many traditions were just cobbled together from as many different traditions as they could find to come up with what we have now. But you know what's really funny is that in Italy, you they think of Halloween as a very American holiday. It's only been in the last 10 years or so that Halloween has been celebrated here. And it's still not anywhere near as important as it is in the States. It's like I got all of the moms at Aurelio's... Um, nursery school in on it. They all now come trick-or-treating with us in our neighborhood, but it's because I was like, hey, let's do this thing. And they're like, oh my gosh, that sounds so fun. Like they'd never thought of it before. And so now we do it every year, but you know, most of the kids don't really dress like they don't put much, a lot of effort into it. They'll maybe put on like a witch's hat. The girls will or a pumpkin hat or nobody dresses as a superhero or anything like that. It's all Halloween themed stuff because for them, the dressing up in costume happens at carnival. Now you finally in the supermarket see stuff. They finally sell pumpkins. There's no pumpkin patches, though. But you know you can find a pumpkin here or there. Uh, you can find like pumpkin shaped cookies and ghost-shaped cookies. but it's definitely a minor, a very minor holiday. But what's funny is, all of the origins of these traditions, they all came from Europe. They didn't come from America. In fact, in Puritan America, Halloween was not accepted because it seemed it seemed so pagan even though it you know, it comes from this Christian idea of, of All Saints Day and stuff, it seems like such a pagan holiday that it wasn't really a thing in early America. It really was imported from Europe hundreds of years ago, and then eventually fell out of practice in Europe and became a huge thing in America.
0: Hmm. That's interesting to think about, isn't it? Isn't it? <laughs> yeah. For some reason, it was reminding me I mean, the same, of course, is true with many of the Christmas traditions that we have come from Europe as well. For instance, uh, the Christmas tree, I think, is from Queen Victoria. Mm -hmm. And yet, it's such a big thing over here. But I did see this uh, special once about Christmas that said, when when you think about what America's contributions to Christmas are, it's kind of what Santa Claus looks like is one of our biggest uh, contributions. Yep. (laughs) Coca-Cola. Well, even before that, you know, the twice night before Christmas poems and stuff like that. But they were jokingly saying that it makes sense, of course, that America's patron saint, which would be St. Nicholas, Santa Claus, is commonly found in the mall or at a department store. Isn't that just so American that our patron saint would be a part of commerce? Yep. <laughs> <You know?
1: laughs> totally fitting.
0: Yes. And that's where we would find him. And I guess it's kind of similar, actually, because now Halloween, when we were growing up, of course, he went door to door through people's neighborhoods and now, more and more, at least in the cities, kids are driven to downtown commercial cores and they go trick or treating from small business to small business instead. Really? Yeah, earlier in the evening. No, especially little, little kids, where they, you know, the parents don't really want to have to drag them all over the neighborhood. Uh-huh. Just take them downtown on that one main street, let them roam around for an hour and you're done. You know, they've got enough candy for years. Huh, I did not know that. Yes, yeah, so it is changing here as well.
1: Interesting.
0: So before we're out of time, though, we do have a couple ghost stories that we want to share. Yeah. We did have our first online live meetup. Recently, we invited people who were uh, longtime donors to the show or new donors through patreon.com slash podcast. And as a part of that program, we had had a few of them share ghost stories with us. So I taped him off Zoom, and uh, we want to share a couple of those. Who should we start with? Should we share your mom's first? Sure. Your mom actually was at that event. Mm -hmm. She'd sent in her ghost story a little later, so that's why it doesn't sound like the other 2 we're going to share. But um, do you want to introduce your mother in any way, or should we just hear her ghost story?
2: Let's just hear it. Okay. Several years ago, when I was living in Seattle, I traveled to Olympia, Washington, to stay with a friend for the night. While I was there, I noticed a Ouija board sitting in the living room. That night, I slept on the couch in the living room, and I couldn't fall asleep because of the spirit of the Ouija board being in the room. So I took it out and put it on the front porch, which was enclosed. The following morning, I woke up and had this feeling that the Ouija board was near me. But I didn't see it on the counter, and I looked out on the porch, and it wasn't there either. Something drew me to the couch that I was sleeping on, and when I looked under the couch, I saw the Ouija board. This spooked me so horribly. The really weird thing about my experience was that the next morning when I woke up, no one was out of bed yet, and I was also the last one to go to sleep the
0: previous night. So that's your mom, Mm -hmm. and the scariest ghost story that she's ever experienced. Yeah, that is freaky because when she
1: first sent me that story, she didn't include that last little bit about how nobody in the house had gotten up. I thought it was scary just the fact that she could feel the Ouija board. Mm. I thought that was scary enough. But then when she told me and she sent a little bit of tape later, she said, actually, no, they didn't get up. Nobody got up and put that thing back under the couch.
0: So how do you think it happened? I mean, you know, I believe in ghosts, Katie. All right. Well, let's listen to another one. Uh, Let's listen to Mike's story. And Mike is sitting next to his wife, Sunny. So if you hear anybody... Laughing or commenting—that's probably her.
2: Okay, I I have a story. We lived on a farm out in eastern Washington. Oh, yeah, there was an old farmhouse that we we didn't actually live in, but my brother did. It was built uh, around the turn of the century, around 1900. And several people who had lived in this house mentioned the fact that sometimes at night they could hear footsteps in the second floor where the bedrooms were, and. They would go up and look around. There'd be nobody up there. They'd go back downstairs and they'd hear footsteps. And my brother actually had the same experience living in that house where he could hear footsteps up in one of the bedrooms where one of the people who had lived there had died. That story lived on and continues to live on to this day.
0: So that's Mike telling us his scary story from our live meetup uh i have never heard unexplained footsteps i don't believe but i have lived in a house where somebody has died and uh, as far as i know nothing interesting happened i i would be i would be, (laughs) i would think i mean really think about housing stock right i mean probably all of us live in well maybe not all of us there's newer houses but many of us live in houses where someone has died and we just don't know it because people used to die at home more often. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, I think about some of the places I lived in Rome, you know, that were hundreds of years old, Yeah, literally. Shh. Some of those apartments that I lived in. Not my apartment now. I'm the only person who's ever lived here. I mean, yes, including my husband and my son. We are the only people who've lived in this particular um, unit. But yeah, for sure. But you know, I just, I feel like not all dead people become ghosts. Most people don't. I would guess, you know, Mm -hmm. my idea is if you're at unrest, there's something that, that happened in your life or in your death that, that won't let you rest. That's why you become a ghost,
0: Hmm.
1: right? I don't know. I mean, like the (laughs) sweet old grandma who had a wonderful life and died warm in her bed with her loved ones around her. She doesn't have anyone to
0: haunt. She's just going to go up to heaven. (laughs) I, I don't know. I don't know. Uh. I mean, I love thinking about ghosts. I don't know that they necessarily exist. I like entertaining the possibility that they do.
1: Yeah, that's how I feel. I, don't, I'm, I would
0: never say I'm 100% sure that ghosts exist, but I definitely would never say that they don't. Well, and it's, even if they don't, it's so much fun to tell stories about them.
1: Yeah, and I just think there have been so many ghost sightings. So many people have seen ghosts, I mean, it's like the UFO thing. Like so many people have seen UFOs and and finally they're like, okay, fine. You know, NASA's come out. Okay, fine, it's true. There's life on other planets, fine. You know, everyone's like, I knew it. And it makes so much sense because so many people have seen them. And I feel like it's the same with ghosts. I feel like there can't be this many stories about ghosts without having them be real.
0: Did NASA come out and say, yes, there is life on other planets? (laughs) I feel like that would have been a much bigger headline. If, uh, I mean, beyond amoebic life, etc.
1: I I don't know, Katie. I'd have to look it up because I can't remember the details of the story. But I I feel like it was, it was basically like, yeah, all right, fine, yeah. There's there's something out there. I don't know about that. Don't you don't know. That. Okay, I'll have to check. I'll have to check with Claudio. <laughs> he follows these things very closely.
0: Yes. I mean, they might have come out and said, yes, there are unexplained things in the air from time to time or something. I don't know. But anyway, my cat just covered his whole head with his hands. So maybe he wants us <laughs> to move on from this discussion. Or uh, maybe he's <laughs> just seen a
1: ghost. Maybe cats are more sensitive <laughs> to the other, to the life beyond. Anyways, I just, I just feel like there have been too many ghost sightings and too many great stories, you know, quite frankly. For them not to be real.
0: Well, let's listen to one last story from our listener meetup. This is Liz.
1: When I was a very
3: small child, my family would go for vacations and weekends at our little one room cabin by the ocean on the West Coast. At that time, we didn't have any electricity or plumbing, and we all slept on fold out cots in the one room, which had like these large floor to ceiling windows that looked out onto the bay. Sometimes, but not every stay, I would wake up to see this like shimmering light shape in the dark corner of the cabin and I would watch it moving kind of mildly curious but not overly alarmed until I would drop off to sleep again. I never mentioned it to my parents in the way that like very small children it seemed kind of as normal to see a ghost as it was to have an imaginary friend. A year or two later the cabin had been added onto and we no longer slept in the main room together And I eventually forgot about my little nighttime friend. Many more years later, I recalled the early visitations and not really believing in ghosts anymore, tried to puzzle out how the apparition could have happened, how it could be so elusive, sometimes appearing or disappearing even as I lay awake watching it. I eventually came up with a theory. The cabin was mere meters from the shore when it was high tide, with an unobstructed view of the gently lapping surface, Not having any light sources nearby, it was very dark inside the cabin, which would allow our one small mirror hanging high up and at an angle from a nail in the wall to reflect moonlight on the water, which in turn would cast a dancing light lower down on the opposite corner. Hmm. The conditions would have to be just right to see it. Fullish moon, clear night, moon in the optimal position of its path, high tide, and me awake to see it. As the moon continued on its orbit, it would come into and out of that sweet spot, making it appear and then fade away. It's only a theory, of course. Can't go back in time to check all the angles, but it seems to make sense. Or it was really a ghost.
1: That was beautiful, the way she told that story. I really enjoyed
0: that. Yeah, me too. It's so well put. Yes. All right. Well, to finish up, you told a story during that live meetup that I figured it would be fun to end on, just, you know, to leave us in a ghostly place as we enter the month of November.
1: So, you know, Katie, there are lots, there's supposedly lots of ghosts in Rome, particularly because so many people have died here. (laughs) (laughs) The Colosseum is supposedly the most haunted place in the world, simply because of the number, the sheer staggering number of people who
0: were murdered there and murdered in all sorts of insane ways that would cause yes unrest very painful very brutal ways i'm I'm surprised that it didn't i mean it probably also caused unrest with the people that watched it yeah like some of the things i've heard that they did i'm just like how could you see that and move on with life
1: well i agree with you but on the other hand i i I feel the same way about some of the things that people watch now, even though they're fake, Mm -hmm. you know, they're not real, but I think there's a, there's a very strong similarity between watching people get torn apart in the Coliseum and watching shows that brutally depict violence and murder and torture. And even though you could say this isn't real, you know that, that, that kind of thing does happen in life. So and you're watching it and while you watch it you do pretend that it's real so how how different is it really
0: i don't know i feel like if you were watching somebody get torn apart right in front of your bleacher seat that would be a little bit different
1: i definitely think it's different but i don't think it's i don't think it's that far off i think it i think it one leads to the other
0: Hmm. interesting but that's beside the point (laughs) (laughs) yeah This is the show of digressions.
1: I'm just saying that I think it's a natural, not that it's natural, but I think it's a common human fascination with violence Mm -hmm. and bloodshed that people want to see it. Today, it's not acceptable to see it happening for real. So we watch it uh, simulated.
0: Yeah, that's a good theory. Mm -hmm. I buy that. (laughs)
1: But anyway, back to the ghost at hand. Um, (laughs) Not a Colosseum ghost, not a Colosseum ghost, a Piazza Navona ghost. Mm -hmm. And I'm talking about the ghost of Olympia Maidalchini, Mm -hmm. also known as Donna Olympia. There's a street in Rome named after her. And she was the sister-in-law of Pope Innocent X, Pamphili. So she was married to his brother. She was an extremely powerful woman just even in her personality she was very overbearing she was a very commanding person and she was also the sister-in-law of the pope and she became his you know right hand his right hand uh, and it was even known before he became pope that she controlled him that he did not make any decisions without her input at the very least without her input and when he was elected pope at his conclave, it is reported that some of the other cardinals said, we have just elected the first female pope because they believed that she would be the one making the decisions. And for a lot of the time, she was. Towards the end of his life, he sort of turned away from her. But for much of his papacy, she was the one pulling the strings. She was an incredibly avarice woman, and she used i mean all the popes really used their position back in those days to enrich themselves and enrich their families but she was very very into this and um but when a pope died back in those days it was sort of allowed for people to be able to break into his family home and basically loot it and that's what happened in the 15 and 1600s in rome pope dies People find out about it. They go over to his family house, not the Vatican, where he himself would, would have been living, but his his family's home. And they break in and they just take everything that they can get their hands on. So Olympia Dalkini finds out through you know her informants that the Pope has died or that he's almost dead, that he's you know a whisper away from death. And before the people of Rome have a chance to break in, she not only takes all of their stuff, but she she has trunks of gold taken from the papal coffers not their family's money but the the Vatican money she has it the church you know the church money the tithes the you know she has it taken out and she has all of this gold stacked up in a big black carriage right outside the family palace in Piazza Navona and uh she tears out of there. She's getting out of the center of Rome before it's too late. And she tears out with her four black horses out of Piazza Navona and uh, all the way down to Ponte Sisto across the bridge up Gianicolo Hill to Villa Pamphili, which was their family summer residence and a little, little in quotation marks, uh, a little uh, villa up there in, in and amongst the gardens that you and I visited together all those years ago. And she dies two years later of the plague, a very horrible, painful death, of course. Um, And it is said that her ghost now haunts Piazza Navona. And you can sometimes see that black carriage with the four black horses tearing out of Piazza Navona in the middle of the night.
0: Hmm. There are so many great details about that story. (laughs) 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 One, the concept that the pope dies and you just have carte blanche to like go ransack his family's home it's a very it kind of does make you think if that happened every single time what what is the plan here like the family trying to uh, amass as much wealth as possible every single time gets their their wealth and home ransacked at the end it's a funny concept for me to think about but also of course that she has four black horses it couldn't be like three black and one white or you know one gray one blonde you know it's got to be the really (laughs) scary you know death carriage that she takes off in. Mm -hmm. almost as if it's foreshadowing for that this isn't going to work she's going to die she's not going to be able to take any of it with her which makes it a kind of a great thing but also for anybody who's actually visited in Rome, where she runs from to where she goes to is really not that far away. <laughs> you know, like, I, I mean, I could probably walk it in an hour. Yeah, probably an hour. So how, how is this a, a workable escape plan? <laughs> All she needs to do is get the gold into a different area. They're going <laughs> to loot the family home, but they're not going to loot the family summer home. <laughs> like, <laughs>
1: <laughs> maybe maybe she had more protection up there. I don't know. Maybe maybe she thought you know the average Roman poor person who's going to try to loot me—they're not going to be able to carry anything away if you know I'm up in the hill.
0: Mm, maybe you know
1: they're not that guy. Those these poor people don't have horses. They're not going to be able to lug away a whole bunch of gold. <laughs> so if I'm up there, they're not going to come up and get me.
0: Huh. I, it just makes me feel like uh, imagine the people like a zombie horde where, you know, when they find that she's gone, you know, they just walk around in confused circles. I
1: mean, the truth, the truth is they probably looted the palace anyway, stealing furniture, tapestries, art, anything that they could carry out. Uh, that stuff was valuable too sure so i would assume that you know she just wanted to make sure she got the gold away
0: Right. Yeah, she got it she has to be able to buy new stuff yes exactly <laughs> once the old stuff has all been carried off by the peasantry Yeah, and if you're interested
1: if this figure sounds fascinating to you and she really really is my favorite detail about her is um that when she was a young woman growing up in viterbo which is about an hour north of rome it's about an hour north of Rome now. Back then, it was probably further. <laughs> she was upper middle class. You know, definitely not a noble woman yet. But her father did not want to pay the dowry that, according to his rank, you know, according to whatever he, how much money he had, he should have had to pay to get her married. He didn't want to pay that. He was too stingy. And so he was going to put her into the nunnery. But she was absolutely not going to accept that. It was not the life for her. She was not going to become a nun. And she wrote to the Pope. Because back then, you're technically not allowed to force your daughter to become a nun. You know, you could try to convince her. Uh, you could tell her, this is what's expected of you. But if she rebelled, you, couldn't, you could not force someone to take those vows. So she wrote to the Pope and said, my father is forcing me to become a nun. And he you know, basically said, you can't do that. Oh, interesting. <laughs> and so her father eventually had to cough up you know, had to cough up a dowry for her, and she was able to get married.
0: And yet that stingy attitude was totally inlaid in her. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. She, uh, you know, can't fight blood. Yeah, yeah, totally. So interesting.
1: So anyways, if you're interested, if she sounds interesting to you, there's a great book called The Mistress of the Vatican, I'll put the link in our show notes, but I don't, I can't remember the name of the author off the top of my head. But it's a beautiful, really well written work of nonfiction. It's a really great way to get to know this fascinating character and also just Rome in the mid 1600s, which is a fascinating time period in Rome. And so I would highly recommend
0: that. Yes, very nice. Well, we shall leave it there. Wow, 400 episodes. I know. Is that insane? Yeah. Um, I guess we'll have to mark a much bigger marking of the occasion when we hit 500. Yes. But, yes. <laughs> in a couple years. Yes. <laughs> but until that time, happy November, everyone. Thanks for being with us. Great storytelling at the live show. I thank you to everybody who showed up. It was so fun to see your faces. It really was. We're planning on doing another one in December. We're thinking of, we haven't planned it all out or anything, but we're thinking about doing some kind of holiday gathering, and we're going to try to maybe do it at a time of day when Aurelio, your son, could come to part of the party. (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) Um, If you heard last Thursday's episode of him being extremely cute, yes, that might be a possibility for December, so... If you want to get in on that, find us on Patreon for as little as $5 a month. You get two bonus episodes every month, and you also will be invited to these live get-togethers where maybe you'll share a story that we share on a future show. Yes. Links to that in the show notes as well. Absolutely. All right. And until next time, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. Join us again. Bye.